This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Welcome to Saving Grace. My name is Simon Eastwick, your guest host this week. Before we begin, I just want to uh, bring up a prayer request for you. Our normal host, our regular host, Carmen Pate, uh, is fighting leukemia, and she's battling with that in uh, the hospital here in Houston. Uh, And uh, we just want to lift her up in prayer, and uh, we sure would appreciate it if you would join uh, with us in that endeavor. Um, She is, as you know, such a a saint and uh, such a, a lady with a heart and a passion for grace, Even while she's in hospital, she is ministering to those around her. She is sharing Christ with those who are in her hospital environment, the nurses and the doctors. And uh, so we just want to encourage her and let her know that we're praying for her. And uh, we'd appreciate if you join us in that endeavor. So today I have the privilege of having Scott Pollock with me. Uh, in uh, in the studio here today, and Scott is the lead pastor at Faith Bible Church. He's a graduate of Texas A&M with a THM from Dallas Theological Seminary. He happens to be my pastor, and I'm so proud to have him on our program today. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, it's a, it's very timely because uh, at at the church, you're actually leading a series on grace right now, <laughs> so uh, it couldn't be any better. There you go. So um, before we begin and start talking a little bit about the booklet that you've written, I wondered if you'd tell us just a little bit about uh, your journey to becoming lead pastor at Faith and what that looked like. Yeah, thank you. It's a a very backwards journey than most people um, who either plant a church or interview with a resume and et cetera. So I neither planted the church. Our church is is a church plant from Conroe Bible Church back in 1979, so it's coming up on 40 years old. And I started at our church sitting on the back row with my wife and newborn son. In many ways, we were hiding. We were healing from some just some rough times in ministry. And that led us to seminary. So we were in seminary at the same t- at that time. And one thing led to another. I, I, I joined the staff as an assistant to the student pastor for a couple years. Then I went back to um, just working outside of the church for a little bit and working in restaurants and building furniture and painting houses and doing all kinds of stuff I could do to, uh, to just pay our way through seminary with two small kids at that time now. All the while going to Faith Bible Church and um, began to build a relationship with the senior pastor, Dave Anderson, Dr. Dave Anderson. And that as a mentorship relationship continues to this day, and he's probably taught me more than any one individual on the planet. He hired me as an associate pastor, um, which was the greatest job ever because I just got to hang out with him all week. And Mm -hmm. we studied together and prayed together and talked about church and the Greek uh, New Testament and Hebrew and theology and preaching. And it was just amazing. And um, I got to do some pastoral care, um, things like that, that I love to do. And then a few months into that, he um, retired to become the f- full-time president of Grace School Theology, which he started from our church, and, and that's when I took over as, as lead pastor. And so I was co-pastor with a, a good friend of mine named Bill Yarger, Dr. Bill Yarger, for a while. And then uh, Bill retired as well and moved back to Arizona, and I've been lead pastor solo uh, since then. So it was a backwards way. I, I, I don't have a resume. 
I am, in fact, I've never had a resume. Um, and I did do some interviewing, of course, with the elders of our church and et cetera, but it was a little bit of a backwards journey in that God seemed to just be opening doors and I was trying to be faithful enough to walk through them. So it's a kind of a story of grace in itself, how I got to be where I am and um, I love it. Well, I tell you, we certainly are blessed to have you as, as well, pastor. Thank you, my friend. And uh, I sit in, I sit in the, what I, I refer to in old terminology as the pews, but they're not yeah, pews yeah. anymore, right? But I sit out there in the congregation every Sunday, and uh, we are blessed by the teaching, Thanks. by the ministry, by the total ministry of the church. Since you've been there as pastor, you have helped to refine the vision of the, of the church. Would you tell us a little bit about that and what's, what was behind that? Sure. I, I've been through two um, vision discussions. Okay. And um, the way I dis- define vision is it's just a compelling picture of where God is leading you um, as an individual, as a family, as an organization, as a church. Um, and the vision statement um, that was present when I got there was good, but it, it wasn't being talked about. Nobody knew it. And so mm-hmm. we, uh, as a pastoral staff and elders, uh, spent a long time. It was several months process to come up with a vision statement. That was very unique. It was rather emotive. It was a couple of paragraphs long, actually. Um, And we just loved it. It served us well as a refresher. Uh, And then that began to um, fade in its usefulness and its memorability. And uh, the beginning of this year in 2016, again, as a pastoral staff, with the help of our elders, we tried to take the same vision that has always been true for what God is leading uh, and what God is doing in Faith Bible and where it's leading, he's leading Faith Bible um, and tried to come up with a very succinct statement this time. And so God led us to, started uh, while I was on sabbatical last year, just a regular scheduled sabbatical, started to drop some of these words and ideas in my mind. And then I brought that to our pastoral staff and we came up with over several days of talking, lots and lots of hours of the idea that God has called Faith Bible Church to build generations of Jesus followers who take grace to our world. Very simple statement, but each of those words is very meaningful to us, and we labored over each of them. Uh, and we like that, you know, 11, 12, 13 words there um, is, is powerful, it's memorable, it's accurate, it's mm-hmm. also a compelling picture of what God has called us to do. So we're excited about. Uh, essentially the same vision God has always given Faith Bible Church. There's not a lot of new in there, uh, but the statement itself is new, succinct, um, and hopefully compelling. It it is all of that. I I appreciate it because as I was reviewing it and the sort of what we have on the website as a church, uh, it really just jumps out there. Yeah, it it just it states it very clearly. Um, we we have something similar here at Grace School of Theology where we talk about training people that can teach about the love of there God. There you go. Right. Right. A love that can't be earned and can't be lost. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so similar in 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 its uh, in its mission and vision. It's really kind of neat. They they certainly uh, go together, which is which is great. Um, well, we're parent child in some sense, or brother true. sister. Sure. Yeah. So we. We love that there's a similarity. We want there to be a similarity and uh, a great camaraderie, a partnership. And then we're looking forward to only deepening that in the future with, with um, the school. So we're grateful for you guys. Well, great. We are, we are excited to partner with you in many different ways. One of the things that you have done uh, is you have written a booklet called Grace. 
Gotta say, I love the title. <laughs> I do, right? I didn't come up with it. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Um, and I like the image. Uh, and for those that are just listening to this, I'll describe the image to you because most of you won't be seeing this. But the image is that of sort of an iceberg. Yeah. And underneath the, the iceberg, as is typical, uh, is the majority of the iceberg. And just the tip above the, the surface mm-hmm. is what we would see if we, if we were to be in a boat looking, uh, looking out. And that, that's a, it's, I think it's a very neat depiction of, of, Thank of you. grace. I got, I got to tell you, Heather Leong, our graphic designer at church, is completely responsible for that, 100%. was her idea because we were laboring, her and I uh, were just laboring over an idea of a simple, you know, I just wanted a simple image yeah. that somehow had you know, something to do with the beauty of grace, the gift of grace, the... And, we, and nothing was working for us. So, and she came with that one day, and it was it like a light turned on, and and yeah. she did it all. It brilliant, I think. It just says the depth of grace too. It's just to me, so deep and wide. So, tell me a little bit about what your you know you would think you mentioned to me in a conversation that this is a compilation of a number of different things you have written about grace in the past. What prompted you to put that all together? Uh, Dave and, Anderson. Okay. Dave David Anderson is a mentor and a friend, mm-hmm. and. Um, a father figure in the Lord, you know, has right. been encouraging me to write. Um, yes. And I, I've always loved writing. I don't, I don't know if I'm very good at it yet, but I, 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 I would like to be. But he's been encouraging me to write. And so I've, the, the only thing I really wanted to write about um, was grace. And for a long time, I, I felt like I didn't have anything to say that hadn't already been said or said really well. And mm-hmm. for a few years now, I've been just sort of dabbling as God would lay something on my heart, I would begin to write it down. And and then over sabbatical uh, last year, about 10 or 11 weeks with my family and some alone, um, altogether 10, 11 weeks. And uh, I started to sit down and, and target uh, a, a few short booklets. The only hope for that was for our church family. Mm-hmm. Never beyond that, I, I wasn't writing it for a mass audience or anything. It was just for our church. And I wanted it to be accessible, simple, you know, very brief statements, not really uh, commentary level, um, but something for the average person, even for a student or a child to read, but that challenged us to think theologically about grace and also apply it. We released that to our church just a few weeks ago. So Hmm. it's taken a long time. I didn't know that writing a a, a, it's a tiny book, and I don't even know if it deserves the word book, but booklet, bookish, whatever it is. Um, it takes it's a so piece. Long, yeah, it takes so long to write. It does, you know? doesn't it? So, yeah, it's from, wild. From, from concept to, to final product. It, if it's a good product. Then I, yeah, <laughs> yes, know? absolutely. Well, in this booklet, you, uh, you talk about a, a masterpiece you once saw. And, uh, tell us how that tied into sort of your first key point about grace. Well, again, another, another person, a friend of mine, named Tom, who's a member of our church and who's a, a, a great writer. And he's a, he's a photographer, he's a missionary, he's Brazilian. And uh, Tom was helping me um, with this. And I gave it and I said, tell me how you'd make this better. One of the things he said was, you need a, you need a little illustration at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't come up with one. And so he was challenging me, he was thinking with me. And um, I, I remembered a time when Liza and I were on our second anniversary trip. As we, we love to travel together. She's from Australia, and we were, we were in Italy, not knowing what we were walking into, but we came upon Michelangelo's only surviving easel painting, which is of um, John the Baptist and his parents. It's called The Holy Family, and it's a circular painting. You can Google it or whatever, but 
it was, I, I can't quite, I, I don't know the term, it was ineffable in, in, in that way, I guess, but it was just awe-inspiring. And we stood there for probably an hour. A tour group came and left, another one came and left, and we were just dumbstruck. And I, I remember as I was searching for an illustration, I thought that that's the, really the way it was for me and God's grace. When I began to understand it, I didn't know what to say. I didn't have words. And so I, I hope it was a fitting illustration to kind of introduce the idea. Well, it really was, and I th- it really struck home with me. Now, you, you came to know the Lord later on in life in college, isn't that right? Correct. 19, yeah. Yeah. 19 years old, yeah. Okay. So, so that was uh, in middle of college? Uh, first semester. First semester. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Three, two months in or something like that. Gosh. Yeah. And how did that, how did that impact your, your college days? Oh, it changed it dra- dramatically. You know, I, I was seeking glory and fame and money. So I was going to be a uh, doctor, a uh, pediatrician, because I, I like science, I like kids, but only because it was prestigious and I felt like I could earn a lot of money and be somebody, make a name for myself. So when I understood the gospel for the first time, even though growing up in the church, I was a theist, and I believe that Jesus was a historical figure, died on the cross, and probably rose from the dead miraculously. I did not understand what that was all for and what my part in it was. So I, I wasn't coming from an atheistic or even agnostic background. I was a theist, but it didn't make sense to me. So understanding the gospel, not having any church back, evangelical church background at all, mm. never was part of a youth group. I didn't know what a seminary was. I know a seminary was where priests went, etc. Um, but I heard, uh, I say heard, I very much sensed inaudibly God speak to me in, in the first five minutes after I, you know, trusted in him and believed the gospel. And he said, I want the rest of your life to be about people and about the Bible. Mm. That's the way he communicated it to me because I didn't know any other language. So I begin to say, I think that means more school. I think that means to study the Bible for the rest of my life. Maybe talk about it, maybe be around people. But he, he couldn't have told me pastoral ministry because I, I wouldn't have understood what that phrase meant, you know, and seminary, I wouldn't have understood what that meant. So, um, yeah, I, it, it changed dramatically. I mean, changed my major, changed my whole course of life, changed my friends, um, which was some of the harder stories of that time, changed my relationship with my family in some bad ways at the beginning because I was an idiot, really, and didn't know how to explain what was happening to me. So it came across very harshly to my parents and my brother. Um, So it it changed every single aspect of my life. Um, Some of them got difficult. Almost all of them were glorious. Now, all of them together, right, at at seeing the whole course um, is magnificent. And but. Yeah, it changed everything. Because God used those experiences or used those times in your life? or in Correct, because now my parents and my brother's relationship is completely healed and mended and in glorious ways God's used those and the rest of my family and um, the, the old relationships have come back around and, and God has used those. So all the things that, uh, I, that were difficult in those first few months and years because I was trying to understand now that I'm a believer and follower of Jesus, what that meant, um, God has reconciled and redeemed all those things uh, and more. So, oh, that's neat. So thinking thinking back to the days 
before you were a Christian, you, you make a point in your, in your booklet that there are grace imposters that masquerade as the real thing. Would you walk us through some of those that, uh, that, that you, you know, and how do you compare them to God's uh, truth and grace? Sure. I, I was probably trying to speak autobiographically there because my experience with the church and Christians in those first few months and years as a Jesus follower was um, pretty diverse, you know, so I, I was trying to navigate what I would consider now just um, not disparate, but very different views of discipleship and what it means to love Jesus and follow Jesus. And I, I did, again, I didn't have a category to understand these things. And so I, uh, I started to ask people and people started to tell me unsolicited, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You know, mm -hmm. don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that. It was just a bunch of list of negatives. And I was like, okay, great. And so I, I, do, I really wasn't, I didn't drink or smoke or anything. So some of those were e really easy. Right. Some of them, I was, for one reason, my, my language, I, I, was a, I was an expert cursor mm. when I became uh, a Christian. And so some of that was difficult to kind of reel back. And so some of those words would still come out when I was in Bible study and I was very excited and my friends would shock and be shocked and, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know why that came out, et cetera. Yeah. So, but so this, um, this, I think a very, just a negative view of discipleship, a apophatic is how we speak of God theologically when we say the things that he doesn't, that he doesn't do, like does not change, he, he does not lie. So that's called apophatic theology. It was almost like it was an apophatic view of discipleship. Okay. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And for me, that was the only thing I was listening to and hearing. And so I was like, okay, that's how you follow Jesus. You don't do things. Right. Um, so I, that for me was an early grace imposter. Mm -hmm. And it is sort of masqueraded as the fullness of what God wanted for his followers. But And then I began to discover, wait, that's not the whole story. There's a lot of positive things. There's a lot of engagement, uh, not just fleeing from, as Paul would tell Timothy, flee from these things, but also pursue. And so there was some grace imposters in, in my past. And I think in a lot of the uh, people in our church family and every church family, that is something short of the fullest freedom and joy of, of God's grace. That's probably what I was trying to reference there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you, I think you hit on some really good points here in your booklet and in the sermons that you've been um, giving in the last few weeks in church. You talk about it as being joyful. I mean, grace, your life, your Christian life should be joyful. Yes, I guess you said there are things that we shouldn't do, but there are so many things that we can do, mm -hmm. and with that comes joy. Um, so, you know, it really, it's, it's, a, it's a, when you walk closely with the Lord, that's got a lot of positives and benefits to it. Absolutely. Only in Jesus can Paul say in, in Romans 5, you know, we, I rejoice in suffering. What is, I, like we talked about on Sunday, I don't, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. But I know right. that only the Christian gospel, only a, a thoroughly biblical understanding of the universe has a good answer for suffering and sin and darkness. You know, everybody's trying to find that. Philosophy's trying to find that. Other world religions. Some of them think it's a manifestation of your imagination or your desires. And so you have to kill your will. And that kills all of the suffering in the world. Very Eastern, right? So mm -hmm. the other ones are, no, you just snap everybody else in line. So it's almost a militant view of uh, corralling the life around the environment and circumstances around you to diminish suffering. But see, Jesus explains suffering 
the scriptures explain suffering, and then Jesus came and hung himself on the hook of human suffering to free us from it mm-hmm. as a gift of his grace. And so I think grace can speak to all of these complexities in life, and the common denominator is freedom, joy, um, and the presence of God, even in the midst of difficulty. And yeah, Christian life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Lots of, mm-hmm. lots of difficult things. Our brothers and sisters who are listening to this around the world in closed countries or communist countries or people who are hiding underground in a church or being persecuted very differently than I've ever experienced here, the grace of God can bring them joy even in those circumstances. And so I, I think that's a big part of what people are, are missing about God's grace, and so that becomes very important to me. I just want to touch upon this concept of, of obviously, as you speak about grace in, in, in your book and your sermons, uh, you, you talk about it being it being free, um, and you talk about it being uh, a gift of God. Mm-hmm. It, so is it possible, so if someone's listening to this and they've never heard that before, could they get the impression that God's grace is almost cheap? Does it have any value or cost when we say it's free? Have you ever heard somebody wrestle with that? And oh, talk of about course, that? almost every day. Okay. Sure. Um, let me give you an example. So um, a, a church or an organization, um, w- whatever it is, a, a business, if they offer something for free, whether it be a booklet, a service, um, whatever, often discussion will come uh, uh, something like this. You know, when we offer that service for free, um, people tend to not value it very much. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's charge something for it, even if it's a dollar, okay? So we're offering counseling service, and we want to offer free counseling service to the whole community. So. But people make appointments, and then they drop it, you know, five minutes before they're supposed to show up. Why did they do that? Well, Man, it's because they don't value it because it's free. So what we can do is let's not charge the full price, but let's just charge something so that they value it. I feel like in many ways um, people do think, well-meaning, well-intentioned, godly Jesus followers do that with God's grace. Mm. And they say, okay, like so we talk about grace is free or free grace or something like that, and that's an, an intentionally redundant phrase. Because what we're trying to do is speak into the idea that um, no, no, you do, you can't be earned. You, you can't. You don't owe God. You you can't pay for it. You can't pay it back, etc. And so I, I run into that every day with people who have walked with Jesus and been in church for years, decades, who don't understand the simple biblical idea, thoroughly biblical idea that. God's grace is a gift. He paid for it all, which means it's not cheap. It's actually the most expensive gift ever purchased because God purchased it himself with the blood of his son, the life of his son, but he offers it to us for free. That simple idea in salvation, in sanctification, in security, in assurance, in relationships, in marriage, in parenting, in everything has the potential to dramatically change everybody's life. And so I'm, I'm happy to talk about that for the rest of my life because what I've seen already is it sets people free and gives them great joy and renews a life-giving intimacy with Jesus. It spurs them onto holiness. Um, it spurs them onto maturity. And so that, that's why I'm so passionate about it, I think. And so if, uh, yeah, some people say that 
that idea of grace can be cheap. I mean, we may we may borrow language from Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the Cost of Discipleship in one of his opening chapters talks about cheap grace and um, I think Dietrich meant, meant it differently, um, but no, grace is not cheap. It's extremely expensive. As I said, it costs God everything, but uh, the beauty of it is God offers it to us for free. And when it's free, to tie up a, like a bow, hopefully a, the opening illustration I gave about offering services for free, because God offers it to us for free, there is a great risk in offering grace for free in God, because that means that people can abuse it. That means that people can undervalue it. Uh, but God assumes that risk. That, again, is another you know, biblical and theological aspect of grace that we have to really wrestle with and teach accurately and work out accurately. But yeah, because it's um, free, it doesn't mean it's cheap, but it does, it, it does mean for God it's a bit risky. Right. You know? Well, on that point, uh, we are going to wrap up this particular episode. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. And Thank you for having me. It's been really insightful to listen and hear about um, how you are practically teaching and living out grace in your life and the things you see grace doing in the lives of others that you, that you minister to. And uh, we will look forward to having you back on the show next time. I'd love to be back. All Thanks. right. Thank you. During this episode, we have referenced a booklet that Pastor Scott Pollock wrote called Grace. If you'd like to get a copy of this booklet... You can download it from gsot.edu slash 23, gsot.edu slash 23. If you want to contact us at any time, you can always reach us at savinggrace at gsot.edu. We so welcome your comments, your questions. They are so valuable to us, and we will do our best in future episodes to respond uh, to the questions posed. Thank you. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 